Hello and welcome back to the Stuck In Between podcast. My name is Romy. And I'm Zandon. Thanks for joining us. In this episode, we chat with the incredibly inspirational and forced to be reckoned with Dinesh Palipana. In 2010, Dinesh was involved in a car accident, which caused a spinal cord injury that left him quadriplegic. Despite that, Dinesh hasn't let his circumstances hold him back from chasing his biggest dreams, working as a doctor, skydiving, driving race cars, being a runway model, speaking at TED Talks and writing a book, just to name a few. We learn about Dinesh's moving story, his powerful attitude towards life's challenges, his work as an advocate for inclusion and the steps necessary to reconcile the different stigmas and gaps within Australian culture for people with disabilities. Make sure to get your hands on his biography, Stronger, How Losing Everything Set Me Free, which is out now at all good bookstores. Now on to the episode. Dinesh, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, It's such a pleasure to have you on. And when we did research on you prior to recording, we found so many articles about yourself and even more countless accolades and achievements. And we'll get to all of that in a bit. But before we get into that, we'd love for our audience to get to know you a little bit more. So firstly, you grew up in Byron and Brisbane, right? And you just mentioned to us before that you also grew up in Sydney when you first migrated to Australia. What was your childhood like? It was awesome, hey? Byron Bay was very relaxed. It was quiet. It was amazing. I just used to ride my bike around, play basketball, had a girlfriend, and it was just, like, so carefree. And nice. It was good growing up there. Amazing. I'm sure it's a little bit different now, right? The tourism there is booming, I think, so it may not be as quiet and carefree as what you experienced when you were younger. Apparently, you're working as a doctor, but... You also have a law degree. You are literally every brown parent's dream, I think, with both of those under your belt. How did you end up choosing medicine as opposed to law or some of the other opportunities that would have come your way when you were picking what path to go down? Uh, Yeah, well, I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I finished high school. So I decided to become a lawyer. But um, at the time, at least, I wasn't really that passionate about it and... um, I have a very different view to the law now today. Like I, I really love it, yeah. and it in what it can do. But those days, you know, I was just like, man, you're 18. What the hell do you yeah. do? Like, like yeah. some people are very lucky to figure out what they are meant to do very early on in life, but it wasn't me. Mm-hmm. So I uh, went to do law and eventually I experienced depression and I developed anxiety disorder and panic disorder and It was a very dark period of my life. Mm. So I started seeing a doctor and um, my life started to change. You know, as as I started to recover and my entire world was changing from me going from this depressed, scared person where I felt like a ghost floating through this desolate world to suddenly being in this colourful, bright, beautiful world. I realised that my doctor changed my life and... I wanted to do that for people. So I decided to finish law, set the exam and got into medical school and it's been the best thing. I love it. That's amazing. That's really inspirational to hear about how you took something that was so dark and heavy and strive to make that same positive impact that someone had on your life to somebody else and pass that forward. That's really inspirational to hear about. Um, if we fast forward a little bit to 2010, 
you faced a life-changing moment. And as much as you're comfortable sharing, could you talk us through what happened and the aftermath of that incident? Yeah, I mean, um, I don't I don't really have any ill feelings towards it. So I was um, halfway through medical school then and life was very good. I feel like I found my purpose. Everything was moving really well and I was happy content, satisfied and fulfilled and all those things. And then uh, I went to visit my parents one weekend. I often think about serendipity and sliding doors moments where, I don't know, like being a person of medicine and law, I guess, where you think so logically and rigidly about something. And then, then you sometimes wonder, like, actually, I wonder if this world is if we're all here by chance or if there's a grand plan of some sort. Mm. You see, I ended up in this particular place at this particular time because I wasn't going to go home that weekend to visit my parents, but I did. And then I was going to leave earlier, but I didn't. And then I stayed back and stayed back. Then I had dinner at my parents' house and then I decided to leave at this particular time. It had been raining that day, so it was a bit wet. It was dark. And I ended up on this stretch of highway I was going to take one turn off and I missed it and I kept driving and I was going to take another turn off and I forgot it and I ended up in this one stretch of highway where there were roadworks happening and I came up to this either water puddle or a bit of oil or something along those lines, we don't know. And as soon as my car hit it, it lost control and it spun out and spun out and spun out and then uh, flipped and flipped and flipped. And then when it landed, I tried to get out of the car and I realized I couldn't anymore. And I realized I couldn't feel my legs and realized that I had a spinal cord injury. And within those seconds, my life had changed forever. First of all, thank you so much for sharing that. You mentioned that you have no ill will about the situation now. How do you feel when you share that story? You know, now that you're an advocate and speak with so much power and strength about your journey and everything that you've been through. How does it feel talking about it all and sharing your narrative in the ways that you do? That's a great question. I've never been asked that before. Um, I think I feel, I feel like this incredibly hard thing happened and I feel like this incredibly challenging moment in my life came to be, but I feel like it's created some meaning because if I can share it, And if that story makes a difference in someone's life, then it has some meaning. So I feel privileged to be sharing it and uh, I'm grateful to have the chance to share it. Yeah, again, you look at things in such a positive light and you've taken something that's happened to you and really spun it in a way that not only serves you well, but also people around you too. How, I guess, did you grapple with, I guess, when this first happened to you, recounting what happened or thinking about it would have been such traumatizing memories in your mind, right? Like what did you do to help yourself, I guess, get through that mental health wise? What sort of support did you have around you to make sure that you are able to move past it and get to this point where you look at this in such a positive way now? So I'll tell you something about the car accident, right? When it was happening, there was a point in time where, The car was flipping and it was flipping nose to tail. So it was flying through there. It was flipping nose to tail. And um, I was terrified. I was like freaking out. 
there was this moment where I was hanging upside down in the car and it felt like time slowed down. And I just thought there's nothing I can do about this anymore. Mm. There is nothing I can do about this situation. So I decided that I would think of it differently and stop being scared. And I just decided to think of it as a roller coaster and have fun. So for the last part of the act, I was just having what? fun. Yeah, I was just like, woo. <laughs> so there's this book that I read once called The Diamond Cutter by Michael Roach. And it talks about how when we get a diamond out of the ground in its raw state, it's just like a rock. It's mm. dirty, it's ugly. If you didn't know any better, you'd probably think it wouldn't have any value and might even kick it away. But if you clean the rock and if you cut it in just the right way, and it is beautiful, right? And it's an amazing. Mm. So our experiences in life are like these diamonds where you get a thing, you can leave it as an ugly thing, or you can cut it and shape it into something that sparkles and is beautiful and has some value. I don't know why I thought that moment was the perfect time to apply it, but that's what I did. Wow. Yeah. You know, there's just so much in life that most of us take for granted, right? And mm -hmm. many of which can be taken away from us in a split second. Mm. Um, your attitude and way of processing and taking on everything that has come your way is so incredible and yeah. you know if if i miss a train in the morning that's ruined my whole day right but your message <laughs> of remembering more frequently what we are blessed with and making the most of the cards that you've been dealt are things that will make a world of difference in anybody's happiness yeah and i think you know one other thing i guess we got to think about if you look at people in sri lanka right now who have mm. no feel no food, and they're struggling. Inflation, 60%, they can't get healthcare. Yet the three of us, we have our lights on. We're in a comfortable mm. room. So we're actually in a pretty good place right now. So if you count those small things, those simple things that we have to be grateful for, that millions of people or billions around the world don't have it, I think um, it helps us appreciate our situations a lot more. Definitely. It's all about perspective, right? And sometimes I guess we do need to take a step outside of our bubbles to recognize how much we do take for granted and how much we do truly have to be thankful for. Mm. Um, so I guess in the days, weeks and months after the accident, what was the recovery process like? Um, not just from a physical point of view, but also internally, how did everything change how you saw yourself and your place in the world around you, if it did at all? Well, physically, it was incredibly tough. Like, I woke up in the intensive care unit. I was on a ventilator. I had so many different lines going into me. I couldn't lift my arms then. I couldn't talk full sentence. I was crashing all the time and lots of things were happening. Yeah. So physically, like, it was a very slow process. Training how to sit up again without fainting, mm. you know, being able to speak a full sentence. So there were all that stuff learning all these different skills. And then socially, my mom and dad split up. Our financial security was just gone. We had to sell the house. 
we lost friends, we lost family, we lost everything. And uh, then I was just thinking about, like, you know, will I lose my career and will I lose everything else I had? Mm. So there was so much and it's like everything, right? I was losing everything. So that, that was really hard. And I didn't look in a mirror for a year or two because it was so confronting to see myself mm. after everything that happened. And it was like a, a reality that I didn't want to see. Mm. It took like a couple of years before I could look at myself again and to start recovering from all that. It was a painful process. Mm. Yeah. And during that process, what role did therapy or having someone to help with your mental health play in that? Because we are very open in our community to talking about physical injuries and ailments and getting help for physical disabilities, right? But then when it comes to mental issues, we don't talk about it. And for you, it was like two things at once, surely, when you're dealing with this physical disability, obviously your mental health would also take a toll. Um, So could you talk to us about the type of help you received there and I guess whether you felt like you could receive that help while you were going through your physical disability? Yeah, I love that uh, comment about physical and how we seek help for that. Yeah, Yeah. so true, isn't it? But um, mental health, I think one of the best things that ever happened to me was having depression in law school because it helped me find medicine, but I think it helped me build up the capacity to deal with the spinal cord injury. So actually, after the spinal cord injury, I have never been depressed and I never felt that level of depression. Like it was hard. I was distressed when I experienced difficulty but I was never depressed I remember I proactively talked to a psychiatrist maybe two or three years into the injury and I said look like is there something I should be doing or is there do you think I need to do anything she said look I think your coping mechanisms are intact and that you're dealing with it okay and I think you just need to keep going but I think a large part of that was because I had depression previously I think that prepared me for what was to come Right. Mm. Yeah, there's so much value in, I was just about to say what you said in terms of how because you'd already experienced depression before and you'd seeked help for it, it has helped you in another situation in your life as well. Like I feel like we often, if we're feeling something which we might consider insignificant or small, I mean, air quotes, we don't seek help for it, but then it doesn't give us the capabilities to deal with something when something larger comes around. So there's so much value in dealing with the smaller things that you think are small and maybe, you know, things you can sweep under the rug, but you never know when you'll need those same skills to deal with something larger that can come along. And I think there's also so much value in, even if you feel like you're not going through something, like still seeking help and going to a therapist or just having someone to even just talk to can probably help you then when you are going through something as well, right? Like it's not just when you're going through something that you should seek help. Oh, yeah. Like if you are going through something, you've got to see wherever actually even just talk to someone close to you. And I think the good thing about having professional help is like they're so disconnected from everything else and Mm. it's confidential and they're objective. So there's none of this other stuff that comes into play. And then on that other point where you said um, talking about going through something and then helps something else, I think at the same time like stretching ourselves also helps us to be a bit stronger for the next thing. Mm. And it's all like relative, right? Like, you know, you were talking about 
missing the train and having a tough day. But then if you talk to, I don't know, a little kid somewhere in Africa who's been walking for 10 miles to find his first drop of water for the day without shoes or shelter or money, then if that little kid ends up moving here, they'll probably have the capacity to deal with a lot more hardship than we might. Right. Stretching ourselves into those extremes helps us deal with the hard things as well. With all of the stories and experiences that you shared with us, both from your life personally and even the examples you've given, a theme that keeps surfacing for me is the word resilience. Yeah. What gave you the resilience in all of those points where it could have seemed easier just to have given up? What what gave you that hope and that confidence, I guess, to keep going and push through those tough times? I think you just have to, right? Like, what else was I going to do? Like, I, I couldn't just lay down and take it but I think there are a number of things that I think about first gratitude and just trying to find things that I was still grateful for that helped me keep moving along second like particularly with the spinal cord injury there's a haiku by a Japanese poet a few centuries ago and it said that my barn having burnt down I can now see the moon Wow. It means that he, when he lost everything, he could see what was amazing. And it was the same for me. When I lost everything, it was really hard to let go. Like it was really hard. But eventually I realized that I can see the moon and I was suddenly free. You know, like we hang on to these ideas of social norms. We hang on to these ideas of what's important, like whether it be our social status or whether it be our job title or whether it be our income or whether it be our house, clothes, whatever the hell it might be. But at the end of the day, when you lose all that stuff, you realise how meaningless it all was and suddenly you're free. You're free to be yourself and discover yourself. So when I lost everything and I went through the hardship, eventually when I actually decided to let go, I was free. And then I decided that I was going to rebuild myself to be better than ever and to be better than I was before. That's what I spent my time doing. I don't know if you ever read the book or know the story of the Count of Monte Cristo. The story is that this guy got betrayed and he got put into this prison where he had like an incredibly hard few years because it's this like island prison with no escape. And then eventually he uh, managed to find his way out and he got a treasure. This treasure made him incredibly wealthy and he came back as the Count of Monte Cristo, this rich, amazing dude. And like that story actually really resonated with me at that time because I felt like I was in prison. Mm. But then I thought, I'm going to just reinvent myself and come back better than ever. So that, that also gave me strength. Yeah, it's a phoenix rising from the ashes. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's just incredible. I kid you not, like every sentence you say, I literally get goosebumps. <laughs> um, something that you talked about or just like touched on before was social norms. And that's one of the areas that we wanted to speak with you about today, because we know that there are stigmas that exist and there's certain perceptions towards people that have disabilities, right? And depending on what the disability is, I'm sure some stigmas are around, you know, that the person doesn't have any cognitive abilities or maybe they don't have much emotional intelligence, which is all far from the truth. 
I'd love to hear your perspective on this because you were in a position where for 25 years of your life, you didn't have this disability and then you now do. Can you tell us how you've been treated differently since then and little things you've noticed come at you from society that maybe you weren't aware that those with disabilities can be subject to? Where I found the most confronting attitudes, probably initially from my friends and family, actually, who treated me differently. A lot of people left. Some people took advantage of, you know, what little money I had left, like me and mum. And there were a lot of people that turned their backs. I think that's an important thing to think about as well, because we have a lot of people in our lives who will be there for the good times. When the times get tough, a lot of that will fall away. It's like shaking a tree mm. and all the weak leaves will fall away, only the strong ones. So I think with the ones that walked away, with the ones that I haven't seen, I experienced a difference in the way they treated me and the way they, where their attitudes were towards me, and that was really hard to see. I felt like they saw me differently. And then um, professionally, Coming back to medical school and dealing with some of the structure of medicine and some of the structure of the doctors and things like that. So that was probably the single most difficult and challenging thing, like dealing with the medical profession. Mm -hmm. The interesting thing is like now I work as a doctor in the ED. I've been working here for six years and I've had all these different challenges along the way from the medical profession. But... I've seen thousands of patients now and not a single one of them has ever said anything to me about being doctor with a spinal mm. They've never said, not one. And like most of the feedback that I've had, like, I'm so glad that you were my doctor or this is, you know, it's been great. So mm. that's awesome. Yeah. It kind of tells me that maybe the general community is, you know, we need to give them credit, mm. but it's probably actually some of these structural people that try to hold on to their power and try to exert power over others that might be the most discriminatory. It's been an eye experience. Yeah. One thing we actually wanted to ask you was your going back to work and being a doctor, the reception that patients have had towards you. How do you feel like you've changed or become a better doctor because of your injury? Like, do you think that there's a lot more empathy and so therefore there's a better connection between yourself and your patients? I, um, I hated being a patient. I spent seven or eight months in hospital. I hated every minute of it. It was disempowering. It was dehumanizing. It was scary. I felt like I had no control over what was happening to me and there was no dignity sometimes. It was just terrible. Mm. But I try to remember that when I see patients and I try to think, okay, this may be the 10th person that I see today, but for this 10th patient, it might be the worst thing that they've gone through in their entire life. Yeah. When I think about it like that, I think about how significant it is for that person and how scared they might be, how disempowering it might be, and I just try to treat them as a human being. Yeah. And one of the things that someone said a long time ago and i can't remember who it was they said that the biggest mistake a physician makes is to treat body but not the mind mm. and to treat those two things as if they're separate and so if you don't 
nurture a person's soul while you're trying to help their body. It's mm. not going to be as good a process. So those are the things that I've taken away from my experience and I hope that I'm a better dog. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's just so much compassion when you talk about the work that you do and you really see it radiate when you speak about it as well. Mm. Um, just going back to what you said earlier, it really sucks to hear about how you were treated, not just professionally or at university, but also by those who you considered your nearest and dearest. And there's just so many challenges that people who live with disabilities of all shapes and sizes experience that often unless you're in those shoes people don't always realize. Mm -hmm. So I guess what we wanted to do with you, Dinesh, is to get your perspective as an advocate in this space to unpack where there are gaps and stigmas in Australian culture as a whole and to learn more about where we need to improve and the steps needed to be taken to do so. So the first area we wanted to talk to you about was the education system. And as you mentioned before, the accident you were involved in happened while you were still in university studying medicine. Um, what was that experience like going back and finishing your degree? Because I would imagine that it wouldn't have been an easy one to make that transition back. Um, in what ways do you feel like the system maybe wasn't inclusive in a way to encourage and support what you were navigating? Yeah, and this is something that I see with disability at least once or twice a week. And wow. it's just like school kids or university students that have a disability that face so many barriers and prejudice about what they're going through. And there's so much that tries to stop their education. And education is so important, right? Mm. It's one of the reasons like why when you grow up in a country like Sri Lanka or India or wherever else, people value education so much because Mm. It is the one way that they can find their way out of poverty or they can find their way out of a difficult situation. Yeah. But education is so important because it empowers a person to be independent and to live a good life, whatever else. So education is critically important for people with disability because apart from it being a fundamental human right, they need to have the ability to be educated and to have social mobility and to work in the field that they want or do whatever they want. And to, mm. But there are so many barriers for people with disability and I come across it all the time and I advocate for people all the time because for me it was challenging as well. When I came back, there was certain academics that thought that I shouldn't come back to medical school, that I wouldn't be able to do it. And there were doctors that thought that as well, that I couldn't be a medical student anymore. And some of them told me to my face, wow. some of them said behind the scenes. But all of these things were just attitudes and they were all just misconceptions and prejudices about what a person can and can't do, not necessarily the truth. Mm. So it was very, very frustrating. And even in my own head, I thought, how will I do X or how will I do Y? Or what will happen with this? But when I actually came and gave it a try, I learned how to do so many things. I learned how to do so many things physically. I learned how to be efficient. And I think... If we just stop making judgments and we stop making assumptions, mm. and that's what, like, that's what prejudice is, right? Like, we make judgments or assumptions based on someone's skin color or what someone's wearing or someone's sexuality or whatever it might be. But if we actually just stop doing that and if we just give someone a try, then mm. I think 
we, we can enable people and we can surprise ourselves and can benefit everyone. So, yeah, I think that's, that's what we need to do. And actually, you mentioned a strengthening culture. It's a culture built on a fair go, right? So yeah. one should have a fair go. Mm. Mm. And I think, um, you know, just because not many people have accomplished what you did in the end, it doesn't mean that it's not impossible, right? I think people need to see sometimes that, yes, it's possible by looking at examples such as yourself, because despite all of this, you were like the first quadriplegic medical intern in Queensland, the second person with quadriplegia to graduate as a doctor in Australia. Like you ended up proving all of these people wrong against all of these prejudices that they had. And now it's paved ways for other people who are in similar positions as you to know that they can do it. And maybe they're educators and other people in their field, no matter what field they're in, to say, okay, maybe it is possible because there's someone that's a living proof that it is doable. But it's a shame that there was like no one like that for you, I guess, who people could point to and say, okay, that guy did it. So maybe Dinesh can also do it. Was there anyone that you looked up to in that respect during this time to help you get through it or be like a role model for you? It's my mom. I love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's, she's, a, she's a beast, you know. Ever since yeah. I was a kid, she was always like, you can do whatever you want and whatever I felt like doing, like whatever idea I had, she was always like, yep, yeah, you can do that. You made that happen. Yeah. It was never a no. It was never, it's going to be too hard. So she always instilled that thing. And um, just the other day I heard her telling someone, she's like, yeah, when you wanted to go back to medical school, I didn't know how we'd do it, but I said you could do it and I knew we'd figure it out somehow. So that's just her. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. Good, Dinesh's mom. Yeah. Yeah, she's, she sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> you alluded to another stigma earlier, which we wanted to get more of your perspective on, and that was that of the workplace. Can you share a little bit more about the difficulties you mentioned that you went through starting your career as a doctor and maybe even more broadly, some of the other experiences people with disabilities might face in the workplace that aren't always appreciated or acknowledged? You know, I love working as a doctor. Like it's not, I find it intellectually stimulating and challenging sometimes. I find it mm. emotionally confronting, not because of the disability, but because some of the things I see, right? Mm. Things that are difficult, but that makes medicine beautiful mm. for anyone. But the spinal cord injury doesn't add any difficulty, in my opinion, to my work. Mm. The difficulties that I've had has been dealing with some senior doctors that have prejudices, some of the like organizational things that have been prejudicial, some of those kind of ridiculous things. Mm. But actually, by and large, like the colleagues that I work with and senior colleagues that I work with today and some of the senior colleagues that have supported my career have been amazing. And my colleagues at work, the doctors and nurses that I work with every day, they just treat me like a normal dude. And I love that a lot. Like, yeah, totally normal. Like, they'll make fun of me just like everyone else. And yeah. I love that. I just feel like a normal guy. So I've figured out how to do so many different things, like using technology and using different bits and pieces and making myself efficient. So I don't think that's actually the hard part. It's just been dealing with challenges in attitudes. Mm. And those attitudes are actually not from the patients. They're from the other side. 
How did you get past that? Did it take someone to actually like take a chance on you and believe in you to get your foot in the door? Because I think at one point, I forget what year it was, like 2015 or 16, I think you were the only medical graduate in Queensland who couldn't find employment after you finished your degree or something like that. Yeah, it was so frustrating. It was incredibly frustrating. Yeah. Um, I graduated with some awards and I uh, was very lucky to have some people in my life that, for example, there were some doctors that, you know, they said you can take out a part of our salaries to fund his so we can take money off the table. Wow. And there were people that really stuck their necks out and spoke up. And so I really loved that. And um, last year I had the opportunity to give the National Museum of Australia something that was of significance to me, which is part of their collection now. And I gave them one of my scrub tops, like the one I'm wearing now. So it's got Dr. Dinesh Palapan written on it. Amazing. Awesome. But I got every one of those people who helped me to write their name on it. Love that. Mm. Because they made me who I am today. They fought for me. Yeah. And now that piece is part of Australian history, which is really cool. So I wanted to acknowledge them. And it's also symbolic that we have the opportunity to play a part in someone's life. And mm. we can leave such a strong imprint on each other's life and mm. create the person. Also, I think one of the things that I really love and I talk about frequently is um, there's this concept of heroes that mm. was defined by one of my medical colleagues in talk that he did. He talks about heroes and he talks about heroes and medicine and what opportunities we have to be hero. But he gives this definition of a hero. And he says that heroes do the right thing in difficult circumstances, often weathering personal risk to help others with no expectation of personal gain. And they're guided by a strong moral compass and persist despite setbacks, often overcoming fear to achieve a goal and they accept the consequences of their actions. And that's what I had. I had heroes in my life. Mm. And there's no doubt that you're a hero to many as well, Dinesh. Mm. Um, I don't think we can skip Absolutely. over acknowledging that. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Most definitely. Um, a couple of weeks ago, actually, at my work, um, because we do September at work to support cerebral palsy, this guy who was an advocate for cerebral palsy Australia came in and he had cerebral palsy and he was talking about how he works for one of the footy teams and he was just like beaming with happiness. He was in his early 20s and was just like so glad that someone gave him a chance and gave him that job and he works in like the well-being space for ex like NRL players to talk about their mental health and stuff like that. And it's just amazing because he kind of alluded to how there could have been so many hardships, but because people gave him a chance and because people were accommodating to him, they didn't see him as someone who had a disability and couldn't do something. But instead, it's not a disability. I mean, yes, it's a physical disability, but it doesn't mean he doesn't have the capabilities to still do that job. And it's just incredible, right? Because again, it goes to show that you just need those heroes to take that chance on you. And then you can still do what you're meant to do or what you enjoy doing. I love that. That's, yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He was amazing. I'll never forget him. Um, the other area we want to touch on is outside of work and studying is extracurricular opportunities and activities, right? Social activities, hobbies or sports. 
What inhibitors did you face when you were trying to pursue that side that you maybe didn't really think about prior to having this injury? I think I've done more after the injury than before. So just, again, it's like amazing. it was my own mind. Can yeah. I do this? Can I do that? And like, then, of course, having to break through some ideas that other people had. Like, I went skydiving a little while ago. Um, oh, my gosh. I, uh, How was that? It was <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I was, it, was it more or less scary than you thought it'd be? Uh, it was different. It's different kind of scary. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, took my first flying lesson a month ago. Wow. What else? Oh my God. Jet boating. <laughs> I've been uh, in a race car, I've done all sorts of stuff. So, yeah, I think it's just in our mind, right? Like, yeah. Part of the reason why I love doing this kind of stuff is like just to see how far I can stretch myself yeah. and push the boundaries of what might be possible. Like, I turned 38 in September, but I feel like I've had multiple lifetimes in those 38 years and yeah. uh yeah it's just cool to stretch myself mm. you know what today i actually um ran into someone who runs a space company they build rockets like you got to take me into space oh my so. god <laughs> <laughs> you are unstoppable do you feel like you felt this urge to stretch yourself prior to your injury and your disability or do you feel like post it you're kind of like I need to push the boundaries and show myself as well as the world that anyone can achieve all of this I don't think I was as hungry like now mm. now I thirst for it you know like I want to squeeze every drop out of life yeah I don't, think, I don't think I felt that sense of urgency yeah that's awesome I was reading recently about the perspectives of different people with different types of disabilities, sharing their experiences when it comes to dating. Mm. Um, you know, the barriers, the stigmas, the assumptions people have and whatnot. Yeah. Have you personally faced any of those things when it comes to your dating life? Um, or could you speak to some of the challenges that others might face in that regard? It's a really good question, actually, because I had the accident, there was this amazing girl who started coming to the hospital. We were in love. We dated from my hospital bed. Um, she was a medical student and she worked as a nurse at night. She had to cook these little picnics and bring them over and, like, it was amazing. So um, there was her. And then we broke up because, again, in my mind, my mind, just my mind, I was like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to do this and, like, will it be possible? Like, it's, it doesn't just all these ideas. Mm. So after that, I was single, like essentially single for about 10 years without much intimate human contact. Um, but then, yeah, it just suddenly changed. I don't know why. I, like I finished medical school and uh, I think I just started to seize life again. Mm. But now I have a girlfriend who I've been with about a year. And... Previously, 12 years ago, when I first had that accident, um, around that time, I, I thought I can't have an ordinary relationship with someone. And why should I deny someone that ordinary relationship? But you know what I realized today? I'm like, yeah, right. It's not ordinary. I have an extraordinary relationship. Yeah. Like, it's awesome. Mm. But again, it took that switch 
to flip in my mind. Mm. And, yeah, I think it's just about those mindsets. Um, mm. Let's just say dating was fine over the last few years. <laughs> yeah, appreciate you sharing that because um, we read about another disability advocate. She's also South Asian who was advocating to be the first bachelorette with a disability in Australia. Oh, yeah. Um, and you know, it's she, like, we read articles about her, how she's talking about like even dating apps and things don't create a safe space for those with a disability. Yeah. And she was just like, so determined and her campaign is still ongoing that she wants to be the first bachelorette. And it really makes you think about the media representation or lack thereof when it comes to those with a disability, right? Like representation is such a big topic and we've talked about it from so many different angles. But one thing we haven't covered is representation when it comes to disabilities. And like off the top of my mind, aside from a handful of people like Dylan Alcott, for example, in the media, we don't see many people with disabilities on our screens or in the public eye. What impact did that have on you when you first had your disability in terms of like your sense of self and seeing someone who looked like you or not seeing someone who looked like you? Dylan Dylan wrote a book and in that book he says, um, I can't remember the exact wording, but it was something like, you know, I never saw a doctor or a lawyer with disability. And I I actually messaged him recently like, Really? So, <laughs> hello. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, "Oh yeah, we've come a long way since the the, the gang's been busy or something like." That. <laughs> um, but it's starting to change. Like it's good. Uh, there was a show at the Australian Fashion Week for disability. Like I was a runway model, mm-hmm. and that was in Vogue. That was in yeah. these magazines, and it was like it was so heartwarming because at the end of the show. You got a standing ovation, and I think that might have been the first that week. Amazing. So it's starting to change. Mm. I'm starting to see it flipping over. So I think the movement is happening, but um, I think definitely when I had my injury, like over the last 12 years, it's come a long way, and mm. it certainly wasn't that happening those days. Yeah. Mm. And you mentioned yeah. Dylan Olcott's book. But you're also an author yeah. uh, who have very recently published your own book titled Stronger. Can you tell us a little bit about what inspired you to write the book, uh, where people can find it, and your writing process for it? Yeah, thanks. Um, what inspired me to write it? Well, uh, a bunch of my friends and family were like, you've got to write a book. Mm. Like, why would anyone want to read this? And uh, Anyway, so a few of them kept talking to me about it. And then, again, serendipity, right, sliding mm. doors moments. In 2018, I got invited to talk at Stanford Medicine X. And, again, I was like, oh, man, I don't want to, like, long flights can be difficult as a child. Mum, she's like, you got to go. <laughs> Figure it out. Let's go. And I was like, oh, man. All right. So I went to Stanford, and it was amazing. And yeah. in the audience, there was this guy, Jeremy Howick, who was at Oxford at the time. He's a doctor. He wrote a book called Dr. You. And we became friends. And then he started talking about writing a book and how to write a book and helped me put together, like, a structure for a book. Then mm. one day um, an author in Melbourne and a journalist, Jamila Rizvi, uh, she yeah. just contacted me out of the blue and she said, I'm writing a book. So she wanted to get some 
ideas about my experience as a patient, whatever else. And so she rang me and we talked for a while. And then after the work, I'm like, you know, I've been talking to a friend about writing a book. And she's like, I'd love to help you write a book. And she actually helped me bring it to life. And then she introduced me to the publisher. Bam. Amazing. Yeah. I'm sure it, was, it took more than just a bam. But yeah. honestly, what can't, what can't you do yeah. at this point? I'm so keen to get my hands on it. Yeah, the last couple of days I haven't slept because I've been so excited. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I went to a bookstore yesterday and I like signed a few books and like held it. I'm like, whoa, this is it's wow. all happening. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. If you could leave a message for someone who's listening to our episode right now that may have faced a life changing experience like yourself or maybe someone younger who's facing similar challenges, what would be that message? When I had the injury, um, I was in hospital. And one of my uh, ex-flames, I guess I could say, she came to the hospital and she did something really nice for me, which is to um, print out the poem Invictus and she hung it up by my bedside and I used to read it all the time. It talks about a person going through an incredibly difficult time, but it ends by saying that no matter how hard things get, that this person will not bow down and that he is the master of his fate and the captain of his soul. So just remember that no matter how hard things get, don't ever bow down and that you're the master of your fate and the captain of your soul. And a human being can never be broken. Just stay the course. I love that. And again, I feel like you embody every word you say, mm. Dinesh. So you need to let us know next time you're in Sydney because <laughs> we haven't even touched on some of your other experiences and achievements that we wanted to talk to you about today. So we'll definitely need to catch up in person to hear about it all. The way we wrap up our episodes is with a thought-provoking question, which our previous guest has left for our current one. But we're actually releasing two card games later this week. Uh, The first is a party game, so something for you to have fun with your friends. And the second is a conversation starter game for hopefully some more deeper dialogue between you and your loved one. So we thought we'd leave you with a question from our conversations game to kind of promote it a little bit. Um, And that question is, what is the most impactful conversation you've ever had? Oh, that's a tough question. I've had many, I've had many impactful conversations, but um, I might just say, talk about one. Mm -hmm. It's with one of my best friends, Dean McCoom, and he's a radiologist. But when I was coming back to medical school after the injury, I used to talk to him about a bunch of different things. And one day we were talking about how I would structure my life. And he said, look, you're doing something that it's a road that hasn't been traveled before. Mm. And you're trying to achieve something reasonably significant. So I think you should think of yourself like an elite athlete and you should structure everything to squeeze out every bit of performance that you can. Mm. The way you sleep, the way you eat, the way you structure your day. And I think that that actually had a pretty profound impact on me because then when I was in medical school, I structured everything like I was an athlete and it made a 
pretty big impact on me. That's awesome. Wow, that's incredible. What a great friend. That's awesome advice. Yeah. Well, Dinesh, thank you so much. As we said, it's such an honor to even be speaking with you. Like your true inspiration. Really appreciate it. Not at all. Thanks, guys. Thanks for thinking of me. Thanks for reaching out. Thanks for the podcast, which is really cool. And uh, I wish you all the luck and success and happiness. And I can't wait to catch up in person. No doubt. Absolutely. Thanks, Dinesh. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. We have no doubts that our conversation with Dinesh was as moving for you as it was for us. His attitude towards everything life throws his way is something that we can all learn from. Once again, don't forget to follow him on Instagram at dinesh.palipana and check out Dinesh's book, Stronger, available at all good bookstores. More deets in the show notes. I can't wait to sink my teeth into it. Oh, most definitely. In some other exciting news, our card games that we've mentioned in previous episodes will be out later this week. Stay tuned on our Instagram at stuckinbetween underscore podcast to find when, where and how you can find your copies. We're so hyped for our launch. Thanks as always for your ongoing support. We'll see you next time. Bye.